Hello there, sloggy kiddos. Time for another podcast. Tonight, we are reading John 9. You know what that means? That means I'm nine days in to a 21-day hitch. And that makes me happy because, although not all that close to 21, it's way far away from one or two means I get to come home and see you guys sooner, which I'm really happy about. So anyways, in the meantime, I'm going to keep reading to you every night. Makes the time go by quick for me. I really look forward to it. Thanks for listening. All right, without further ado, here we go. John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. As his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, notice he says we, you guys, not I, we, must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed them and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I was washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight 
until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, the Pharisees. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. That's like losing all your friends and your job and just being alienated from the rest of society. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, meaning he's an adult. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Or, sorry, do you also want to become his disciples? And they, the Pharisees, reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as, far, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. I'm sorry, let me read that verse again. Verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him again, said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see 
may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So, kiddos, that is pretty powerful in Jesus doing a, a miracle. Obviously, he's healing a man who's blind, and only God does miracles like that. The enemy, Satan, doesn't do stuff like that. He came to, to seek and kill and destroy people. But the Pharisees just can't get over the fact that Jesus is good, and he came from God, and that the things he says about himself, coupled with these miracles of healing and goodness, are true. They just refuse to believe it. They blind themselves. So, they blind themselves spiritually, but really they're not blind because they choose to be blind. That's what Jesus is is trying to say there at the end. If you were blind, meaning if you were truly blind to the truth, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Meaning that they knew the truth about Jesus, yet they were hardening their hearts against him just so that they could maintain their charges and hatred against him. Because... They wanted to keep their religion and their social status and their traditions of being Pharisees and not, not receive Jesus and not recognize him and, real, and, and uh, you know, be truthful about who he really was. Which is sad, but we do it a lot too, you guys. Whenever you hear the Pharisees... Um, it's okay to like get angry with them and be disgusted with them. But you also have to realize that in certain situations or in certain aspects of our lives or choices that we make, we do the same things they do. We choose to ignore the truth. We choose to blind ourselves or deceive ourselves. It's actually pretty scary and sad, but we have to assume that we are doing the same things they are at least some of the times because we are we really do anyways give me one second here to get changed over to the book stand by okay so we are on chapter 12 of kingdom's hope the second book in the kingdom series by chuck black I don't know about you kids, but I'm really starting to like Chuck Black books. Chuck Black books, Chuck Black books, Chuck Black books. Say that. Say it five times fast. Chuck Black books, 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 Chuck Black books. I guess it's not that hard. It's actually doable. Okay. Anyways, this is the last chapter. There is a lot of like, uh, not study questions, but just... Um, discussion questions at the end for each chapter. They were kind of simple, so I stopped reading them to you guys. I did it once or twice. And I think y'all caught on to like 
the different par parts of the Bible that each chapter was kind of paralleling, I guess. So, anyways, you can always look back through if you want to. I'll let you. I'll get Kindle open for you and you can check them out. But, um, chapter 12 is called A Future Hope. We're coming out of some super epic battles here with, uh, Gabrick and some really, really hardcore, um, parts of the Dark Army or the Dark Force, or what are they call, called? I'm sorry. But Gabrick's there, and Grishane, um, Leonid stuck up for Grishane and didn't leave him, but didn't leave him, didn't leave his side and actually saved his life because he, he fought over him and kept going when Grishane wanted him to abandon him. So anyways, the Shadow Warriors got super, that battle got super heated and finally some reinforcements came in. What was the name of that one huge angel? Mikalem, he came and gave Gabrick and Leonad relief so they could go complete their mission. And now where's Leonad headed? Leonad's headed back to Chessington. And he has something for them. He's delivering them the most beautiful sword. Which is also a promise. This is the promise your father spoke of just before he died, Gabriel said reverently as he held the item before him. Delivering it to you is the most important mission I will ever have. Delivering it to the people of Chessington will be the most important mission you will ever have. So Leonad receives this beautiful sword. I have seen this magnificent sword once before, Gabrick. The man that carried it was fearless and noble. What does this mean? Gabrick stared into Leonad's eyes. It is the promise, Leonad. Okay, chapter 12, A Future Hope. Leonad and Keefe rode at full gallop back toward Chessington. Leonad carried the burden of knowing that his beloved city and his people would soon be under attack by a fierce army led by his own brother. But he also carried the promise that offered them hope of a bright future. At the river, the tracks of many horses and the muddy shoreline made it obvious that Zane was, heading, was headed straight for Chessington. Keefe bid Leonad farewell and turned his steed back toward the northern mountains. Leonad's anxiety grew with each stride of his horse. Though he had faith in the noble knights and in Audric's ability to command them, he did not know how large or how strong Zane's army was. The promise he carried from the king 
would be worthless if there were no people left to give it to. And of course there was Tess. She would be at the leading edge of the battle. Though she was any man's equal as a sword fighter, Leonid felt an urgency to be near to protect her. He attributed this to his role as her mentor. But in the quiet places of his heart resided a stronger motivating force than this. Leonid entered the Chessington Valley in the early afternoon of a dark and cloudy day. The air was wet with mist that collected on his face until the drops fell down his brow and cheeks. This day was the culmination of his duty to the king as a knight, though it did not feel like the grand event it should have. He was weary, worried, and worn. The anticipation of battle was dulled because of his fatigue, and he wondered if he was capable of focusing on the tremendous task before him. In the distance lay the beloved city of Chessington. Tiny figures formed a dark mass in the plains north of the city. Leonid estimated that Zane's forces outnumbered the noble knights five to one. Like a protective wall, the noble knights were positioned between their enemy and Chessington. Leonad did not want to risk losing the precious sword of promise he carried in the throes of battle, so he placed it in the hollow of a large fallen tree. Leonad saw the charge of Zane's army and felt the rush of war surge within his blood. His weariness released its hold on him, and he pressed his steed at all the harder toward the converging armies. Just before he reached the battle, his exhausted horse collapsed beneath him and Leonid fell to the ground. He rolled, recovered, drew his sword, and ran the remaining distance to the fight. He did not hold back as he penetrated the deadly lines of Zane's forces from behind. Victory today would require a miracle. For Zane and his warriors were not the trivial bands of thieves that had raided Chessington in times past. They were vicious, battle-experienced men. Leonid vanquished enemy after enemy as he made his way to where he thought Tess was fighting. The darkness of the day accentuated the darkness of the battle. There was no glory in the fighting. That would come later, when the swords were still and the spilled blood had disappeared into the soil. Leonid was not a warrior at heart, but he knew that war was the necessary evil to fight evil itself. He looked for the pasture of peace that lay beyond the trench of war. The sound of a thousand clashing swords filled the air. The noble knights fought gallantly against these warriors who served Zane and ultimately the Dark Knight. Leonid saw Audric and Tess immersed in the most intense part of the fight. He continued to work his way toward them until he came across one foe that would not fall. 
Though Leonad had seen Zane only once before, the scar on his face left no doubt that the man he faced was his brother. Zane was an excellent swordsman, and his blows were powerful. Leonad remembered their encounter years ago in the forest north of his farm on the tragic day his father died. Zane's skill had improved significantly since then, or the rush of battle had heightened his performance, for Leonad found it difficult to capitalize on any weaknesses. Zane aggressively advanced on Leonad, but his sword met the guard of Leonad's mastery. Zane paused. Your fight feels familiar to me, he said. Leonad glared at Zane in disgust. Why do you serve the Dark Knight when you know the extent of his evil? Zane appeared surprised at the question. Why does a man who is about to die ask such a foolish question? Zane replied and attacked with a combination of cuts and slices. Because you were taught to love truth, honor, and justice, to be loyal to the king, Leonid said with emotion. Those words are made of the fluff of clouds by the fools who chase them. The dark night will rule Erythrae one day, and I will rule with him. He who serves the dark night is a fool already, Leonad said. Those words sparked a furious attack from Zane. Leonad defended each attack and countered with a powerful combination that put Zane in retreat. The battle continued to rage about them, and Leonad was forced to disengage Zane and fight another. The relentless, brutal aggressors were overcoming the defenders of Chessington, and Leonid knew that his only hope to save the city lay in Zane. He faced two other warriors before he and Zane once again faced each other. Who are you? Zane asked. I am who you should be, the son of Peyton, loyal knight of the king. Leonid could not deny the desire for his brother to turn from his evil ways and become a servant to the king. Zane's sword nearly froze as he eyed Leonid with a look of astonishment. You are the boy in the forest, the one who... Zane's left hand slowly covered the right side where Leonad's sword had wounded him years ago. He scowled at Leonad. Father was a fool. I led the Dark Knight to his home, and I took pleasure in killing one of his sons. Now I will kill another. Zane's confession and his lack of remorse released in Leonad a flood of righteous anger that no sword in Erethrae could defend. Leonid's sword flew like a falcon diving on its prey. His fury pounded upon Zane's defending sword like never before. The wicked, battle-experienced warrior was in full retreat. 
Leonad's continual onslaught of powerful and precise blows was too much for Zane. He stumbled over a body and fell to the ground. One of Zane's warriors turned on Leonad to save his leader, but with two quick cuts the man lay dead on the ground beside Zane. Leonad held his sword at Zane's throat. Call for retreat or your words of impertinence will be the last you ever speak, Leonad said. Zane glared back at Leonad, and his apparent hatred seemed to grow even deeper. But finally he nodded. Swear it, Leonad shouted. I swear it, Zane said in a low, gruff voice. Leonad let Zane rise, but kept him, in the t kept him at the tip of his sword until retreat was called, and the, great for the dark forces of Zane's army were a good distance up the valley. One of Zane's men brought a horse for him to ride and waited twenty paces away. By now, Tess had joined Leonad at his side. He was relieved to see that she was unharmed. Is Audric all right? he asked. Yes, he's attending to the men. Zane stood still and silent. You may go, Leonid said to Zane, and he let the tip of his sword fall. Zane eyed Leonid a moment longer. I will destroy you, brother. One day, I will destroy you. Leonad looked on Zane, and pity joined his anger. You have already destroyed yourself, Zane. Zane clenched his jaw and walked to his waiting horse. He mounted and pulled on the reins of the horse to face northward. Leonid turned to face Tess. He breathed deeply and let the sight of his faithful friend begin to assuage his anger. Tess looked at Leonid questioningly. Brother? She asked as she glanced toward the departing man. Her eyes widened and Leonid turned his head to see the cause of Tess's concern. He felt the push of her body as she threw herself against him and heard her gasp as they fell to the ground. He grabbed her to soften the impact and felt the handle of a knife protruding from her side. Tess! he screamed. Zane and the warrior with him, with him bolted toward the rest of his army. Tess closed her eyes, trying to bear the excruciating pain. Leonid lay her on the ground and screamed for Audric. Hold on, Tess! In one quick motion, Leonid pulled the knife from her side, and she screamed from the pain. He tried to bandage her wound the best he could, but the blood came too quickly. Near panic swept over him, as the futility of his efforts bore down on him. Leonid cradled Tess in his arms. The wound was deep, perhaps fatal. 
All of the emotions he had tried to bury over the past years surfaced in an unstoppable flood. His feelings for Tess had grown with each moment he spent with her. Sometimes it was subtle, sometimes it was obvious. All of the time he had spent denying, denying the inevitable, he now regretted. Tears welled up in his eyes, and he wished he could defy reality and recapture his time with her. Tess, he whispered. It was a name he had spoken a thousand times, but now it was so much more than the name of a fellow warrior. Tess grimaced a gentle smile. She lifted her hand and touched his cheek. Her patient waiting was over. She could see that in his face. She gathered strength to speak. You have been and always will be my hero. Lena had wanted to take her place. If only he had kept his eyes on Zane until he had ridden away. Lena had covered her hand with his own and pressed it tight against his cheek, then brought his hand to, her, to his lips, closed his eyes, and kissed her fingers. Two teardrops spilled from his eyes. He drew her closer and gazed into her eyes as he had never dared to before. Her eyes returned to his affection, and only now did he realize that her feelings for him had always been waiting, waiting for him to welcome them. What a fool he had been. I love you, Tess. Impossible words yesterday now seemed so easy today to say. I love you, Leonad. It was a union of two companion hearts, the walls of self-protection were down. Tess coughed and grimaced at the pain it brought, but the contented smile of a homecoming came to rest in its place. Leonid anguished over the possibility of losing his newly discovered love so quickly. Audric knelt beside Leonid and placed a compassionate hand on his shoulder. The hushed silence of the noble knights was broken only by the distant sound of a galloping horse. Rider approaching came the words from an anonymous source. Lena didn't care. These few moments with Tess were too precious. The rider and his beast rushed near to Leonid and halted in a wash of, of wind. Gabrick dismounted before his steed had completely stopped. He ran to Leonid and Tess and knelt beside them. His stern, penetrating eyes were accompanied by a countenance of sorrow. Leonid silently questioned Gabrick, who did not respond, but immediately began to work on Tess's wound. The sweet odor of the same salve Gabriel had applied to the fatal wound of Leonette's father triggered the painful memories of many years ago. 
How effective is the life spice on such a wound? Leonette asked. Gabriel bandaged Tessa's side, but the blood continued to soak through. The wound is fresh, and the salve may save her life, but only temporarily. One can fully recover from a wound this deep only if the entire body absorbs the life spice. A sliver of hope broke through the deep sorrow in Leonad's heart. How is this absorption accomplished? he asked. Tess moaned and Leonad grabbed her hand. She squeezed his hand to help bear the pain. Hang on, Tess, Leonad said. Her eyes rolled back and she closed them. Unconsciousness was near. Leonad looked in earnest at Gabrick. How? Gabrick was slow to answer. She must be taken to a place where the food, the water, and even the air contain the spice. Where is such a place? Gabriel made Tess drink from his water flask. Leonette grabbed Gabriel's massive arm and looked straight into his eyes. Gabriel spoke quietly. It is across the great sea. One of the noble knights pointed to the north. Sir Roderick, look! Zane's army was fast approaching to, the, to finish the battle and take Chessington. The noble knights were weary and knew they could not withstand this army a second time. Ready yourselves, men! Audric cried. A line of gallant men, both wounded and whole, rose up to give their all in defense of their city and their people. Leonid could not leave Tess, though he knew he must join his fellow knights in this final battle. Gabriel finished a second wrap on the blood-soaked bandage and handed Leonad his flask. Keep her drinking the water, he said, and rose from his work. Leonad held Tess closely. She grimaced, and his sorrow turned to anger against his brother. It swelled within him, and his hand found the hilt of his sword. Zane deserved to die, and nothing would stop Leonid from executing the judgment he deserved. Leonid regretted the mercy he had granted his evil brother, for it might cause the death of his faithful friend, his love. Zane will die for this offense! He said fiercely. He began to lay Tess on the ground, but she found the strength to grab his arm. She looked gently into his eyes. No more killing, Leonad, she said softly. Leonad touched her cheek and she smiled. He marveled at her beauty, both inside and out. Then... Unconsciousness overcame her. He looked up and saw the dark army descending upon the noble knight, no, the noble knight remnant.
The rumble of horses' hooves beat upon the ground, and the earth shook beneath them. If only I could stop it, I would, sunshine, he said sadly. Just then, Leonad heard the blast of a trumpet. Gabrick stood before the noble knights with his sword in one hand and a golden trumpet in the other. The valley was filled with the brilliant pitch of the lone horn. From beyond both sides of the near horizons, a force of mounted men began to appear until there was no gap in the majestic line of silent warriors that framed the valley. They drew their swords and held them aloft. Zane's army slowed its advance to a stop as the men gazed in fearful dread the massive force that encompassed them from above. An eerie silence lasted for a moment and then was broken by the rumble of horses' hooves as the army fled north once again, this time to save their lives. The noble knights cheered and the people of Chessington rejoiced to see their enemies disappear from their valley. Leonad's rejoicing was constrained by the anguish in his heart. Tessa's breathing was shallow and irregular. Gabriel returned to Leonad and knelt beside him. I will take her across the sea, Leonad said, denying what he knew was not possible. I'm sorry, Leonad. You know it is not allowed, Gabriel said. She may go, but she cannot return. I know it is hard for you, but at least she will live. Leonette was torn inside, but there was no decision for him to make. She might live for a time in a wreath tray, but eventually she would die. He could not risk Tessa's life for a few years of companionship. Leonette leaned close to his newfound love and kissed her forehead. I love you, Tess, he whispered. Tess opened her eyes. I would rather die than live apart from you, Leonad. Though her voice was weak, the sparkle in her eyes reflected the inner strength Leonad had come to rely upon year after year. I will not go. But if you remain here, you might die, Tess. Leonette argued against his warring heart. I, she found another breath of air, will not go. Leonette gazed into her eyes and smiled. I've never known a woman like you, Tess. He leaned closer and held her tightly. The silent warriors returned to the realm of secrecy from which they had come, and Tess was safely transported back to Chessington. Leonette left her side only long enough to say goodbye to Gabrick. 
his lifelong mentor, protector, and friend who had lingered to say farewell until after Tess had been cared for. Were you victorious over the Shadow Warriors then? Leonette asked Gabrick. Yes. Did Nicolum defeat the Dark Knight? He was deterred, but he will return, Leonad. One day he will return. You must prepare the people, for he wants to rule a Rethtray, and Chessington stands in his way. Leonad nodded, but at the moment such thoughts were overwhelming. When will I see you again, Gabrick? Leonid asked. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe never. Only the king knows, my friend. Leonid knew by his tone that their missions were on different paths now. Thank you, Gabrick, Leonid said. Thank you for everything. Gabrick nodded and the two men embraced. Gabrick mounted his steed and saluted Leonad. Remember the promise, my friend. Remember and believe. Leonad saluted back and Gabrick rode out of Chessington. Leonad turned to Tess. Audric soon came and Leonad sat, sent him north to retrieve the sword of promise from the fallen tree. Then he waited, waited for his Tess to recover. For the promise was for people who had a heart like hers, a heart that was faithful to the code and to the king. Five days later, Tess was strong enough to sit up, and the color in her cheeks was pink again. Leonette held her hand and smiled. On the battlefield, their lifelong relationship had changed in a moment. And now a river of newly expressed love flowed between them. Tell me, did you find the vision you've been searching for? Tess asked. Did you find the key to the kingdom? Yes, sunshine, I did. Leonad approached, I'm sorry, Leonad reached for the majestic sword, still wrapped in his cloth, and held it before her. It is a promise for the people, for all of us. Tessa's eyes gleamed, and she lifted her hand to touch Leonad's cheek. Deliver the promise, Leonad. The square of the city was filled with all the people of Chessington. The mid-afternoon air was cool, but the bright sun was un unhampered by a cloudless sky, and it warmed the skin. Beside the oak tree in the center of the square, Leonid sat tall upon his powerful horse so all could see him. Audric, Tess, and all the noble knights were by his side. Noble people of Chessington, today is the day of hope for us all. Hope for a future kingdom that will surpass the glory 
of the days of Quinn. My father saw the dawn of the kingdom of Erethrae, but we stand in a kingdom that is on the precipice of true greatness. In the Red Canyon, the king gave us the code to live by, and it was our guide and our light through many dark days. Today, he gives us the key to that future great kingdom. It is. Leonid withdrew the majestic sword and held it high for all to see. The sword of promise. An exclamation of awe swept through the people, for they had never seen a sword of such magnificence. The golden hilt supported the gleaming steel of the blade as the sun reflected off its edge. What is the promise? asked a young man in the crowd. It is the promise that one who is worthy will someday take up this sword and be our king. He will deliver us from the dark night and his evil shadow warriors. The one who is worthy will save us. The one who is worthy is the coming prince. A cheer rose up, and all the people rejoiced at the promise of the coming prince. They celebrated with a feast to remember their past and to embrace their future. For a time, they forgot their fear and their sorrow, and the promise of the prince gave them the hope of a future for which they longed. Epilogue Of Battle and of Peace Leonid and Tess were true knights of the king, and I, Cedric of Chessington, am honored to be part of their chronicle. My story begins where their story ends. Although many of the people eventually lost hope and forgot the promise of the coming prince, Leonid and Tess stayed true and faithful. They married and enjoyed many joyful years together. When Tess eventually grew faint and the silent warriors carried her across the sea, Leonid persevered in his mission into old age. He strove to keep the promise and the code alive. But even the noble knights lost sight of the true meaning of the code and forgot the promise. Though Leonid was saddened by the apathy of the people, his words found a welcome home in the heart of a young boy. This is where his life touched mine and changed me forever. My story I will gladly tell you, but it must be another time, for now it is time to prepare for battle. Dawn is breaking in the kingdom before us. It is a kingdom that is ravaged by the greedy whims of the evil one. A kingdom once bold and beautiful is now oppressed under bondage. But soon we will deliver her, for the deliverer is here. Those who have found the faith 
and remain true to the prince will be rewarded. All others will be judged and condemned. If you knew the prince as I do, you would know as I do in my heart that the outcome of our battle is sure. I cannot deny the skipped beat of my heart within my chest, but it was not for fear. It is for anticipation. Where will this journey with the prince end? What grand adventure lies beyond this battle? I do not know, but one thing I do know, I will stay by his side. No other is worthy of such devotion, only the prince. He is the majestic one that will lead us. There is no hesitation in his movements or question in his eyes. He will lead us to a new beginning. The new kingdom's dawn will start today. It will be a dawn to usher in an age of peace. But peace must be bought. And this battle will be the price. There is a mighty and evil force before us. But I am not afraid. I am on the side of the prince. And kiddos, that's the end of Kingdom's Hope. Hey, and tell you what, I will read the last set of discussion questions. Oh, there's a song back here. Uh, two bars of bass clef. Oh, no, there's G clef. I'll have to show you guys. There's like, I don't know if it's piano music or what, but it looks totally playable by you piano experts. It's called Discovery. Okay. Oh, chapter 12 refers to Ephesians. Chapter 4. Oh, wait, that's the answers. I can't read you the answers. Chapter 12 Leonette experiences righteous anger when he realized that his brother Zane feels no remorse or sorrow for his wickedness. There is a passage in the Bible regarding righteous anger. Find that verse. And I'll answer it for you, kiddos. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And I'll just tell you that, like a lot of verses can be abused by, you guessed it, people who like getting angry all the time. But there is such a thing as righteous anger, and it's okay. As long as it's directed towards pure, unrepentant evil like Zane. Okay, second question. Leonad gives the people the, quote, promise. Find other Old Testament passages that give the Jews and the whole world the promise that a Savior was to come to earth to save us. Okay, I'll go back to the answers. Okay, write these down, or at least remember them. Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And then, of course, Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. You guys know that one pretty good. But, don't let it slip from you. 
Okay, in Jeremiah, verse 31, I'm sorry, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Wow, I got to look those last ones up. <coughs> Excuse me. Turns out, remember the one chapter in John we were reading? And they all like were scratching their heads trying to figure out what the Old Testament scrolls or the Torah or their words that were read in the Jewish temples said about the coming Messiah. None of them could agree on it. And uh, who was it? The one, was it, uh, oh, help me out here. The one Pharisee got assigned homework to go look up scriptures to see if anything good can could come from Galilee or where where the Savior was going to come from. So, kiddos, we need to know our Bibles better than the Pharisees. All right. So, Isaiah 7.14 and Isaiah 53.1-12 in Jeremiah 31, verses 31-34, Micah 5.2 and Zechariah 9.9. Okay, and then there's one more question. Let me go back. The promise of the coming prince was fulfilled when Jesus was born. His mission on earth was to teach us about God and to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible tells us that anyone who believes in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead will be saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? And kiddos, that's a question between you and God and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus. And isn't it cool how that is from the book of John? Chuck Black's last question for us. I knew there was going to be something tying into us reading through the book of John and our book here. There always is. That's the cool thing about the Bible is you can always find ways to relate it to whatever you're doing in life or whatever your whatever story you're reading it's like a lens that you can look through anything okay i'm done with the book what do you kiddos think i really like this book i think i really like chuck black too so good news is we've got four more books in this series and there's more Chuck Black series after this, so we're looking pretty set up for books. Yeah. Okay. This has been a little on the longer side, but we finished our book, so guess what we're probably going to be reading next time? Probably book three. All right. Well, I just want to take this moment to tell you, kids, I don't want to be a fool like Leonid. And you know what? 
he probably should have te- t- told Tess that he loved her a long time ago. So I just want to tell you kids how much I love you and how much I am just so grateful to God that I get to be your daddy. And I'm your earthly father. And you have a heavenly father who's like a trillion times better than me. But I'll tell you what, it is still such a cool thing being your earthly father. I'm just, like I said, I'm so grateful. God has given me so much and honored me in such ways I don't deserve by getting to be your daddy and getting to read you stories and teach you about how good God is and about the Bible and about how, yes, anyways, I'm out of words, I'm out of time, I gotta stop the podcast before I go over an hour or so. I love you kiddos so much, and I will talk to you soon. Love you, night night. Mm-hmm.